I stepped in the water, and the water was cold. Chilled my body, but not my soul. Wait in the water, children. Wait in the water. God's going to trouble the water. Today's scripture and this Sunday in the liturgical calendar is, in fact, about baptism. If you've ever experienced a baptism or been told about it uh, or been one here, you know that it can be a joyous occasion where the church accepts new members of the community and affirms God's claim on them as God's very own. And also, baptism signifies freedom. Our shackles of shame and sin die with Christ. We are reborn, knowing we are God's child. That's the idea. But during the creation of the colonies here in this land, in the colony of Virginia that would become the United States, the English had problems with this because under English law, it was illegal to enslave another Christian. But in, 18, in 1667, the Virginia House of Burgess took care of this problem of baptism making people Christian, enslaved people, when it passed Act 3. It said, Whereas some doubts have risen whether children that are slaved by birth and by the charity and piety of their owners made partakers of the blessed sacrament of baptism, should by virtue of their baptism be made free. It is therefore enacted and declared by this grand assembly and the authority thereof that the conferring of baptism does not alter the condition of the person as to his bondage or freedom. And now masters freed from the doubts may more carefully endeavor the propagation of Christianity by permitting children, those slaves, or those of growth as adults, if capable, to be admitted to that sacrament. See, at the time before white was invented, the word that was used uh, was Christian. The heresy of it is mind-boggling. But uh, several centuries before, they worked out, uh, coming out of the Catholic Church and the Pope, uh, the Doctrine of Discovery which said that uh, any uh, land not occupied by Christians uh, could be discovered uh, by Christian nations and dominated and taken over. And therefore, everyone in Europe was Christian, Try to maybe stop some of the civil wars happening there, and the rest of the world was not Christian. But to be Christian meant European, meant to be free, meant to be white. But this baptism was supposed to make you free. And so when enslaved Africans came and met this religion, you can imagine that they were probably confused because freedom was supposed to be the result. And we know from history that some actually took their cases to court and won the freedom uh, due to the baptism. But Act 3, and there's a similar act here in New York State that was passed at the same time, uh, made that clear that that wasn't going to happen. And it actually is part of this warped theology that developed that Ibram Kendi's excellent book, Stamped from the beginning chronicles, the theological acrobats performed by the likes of this country's, the colonies that became this country's first uh, public theologian, Cotton Mather, who made an argument that when uh, black people get baptized, their souls could become white. (laughs) 
And so when we sing, uh, our sins are washed white as snow, there's a history to it. Sometimes history can help you know that when something sounds a little weird, it may be. <laughs> it might be off. So as my pastor from back home in Winston-Salem, Reverend Eversley, would say, Europeans didn't convert enslaved Africans to Christianity. Enslaved Africans converted a warped, heretical Christianity back into the religion of Jesus. Some say Peter and some say Paul, but there ain't but the one God made us all. Wait in the water, children. Wait in the water. God's going to trouble the water. This year marks the 400th anniversary of the arrival of the first uh, Africans in the English colony, brought on a Dutch ship in August of 1619. And there began the history of this nation, building the wealthiest, most powerful empire in the history of the world on the back of stolen people on stolen land. And over the past few months, I've had the opportunity to become a trainer with the Racial Equity Institute based in Greensboro, North Carolina. And I've learned a great deal. But the Racial Equity Institute has developed what I think is a powerful metaphor and allegory for understanding the current reality of this 400-year history. The scriptures tell us that parables and metaphors are helpful in creating containers uh, to understand deep and complex issues. And so the metaphor goes like this. It says, if you could imagine a body of water that you're familiar with, that you may find yourself walking by, a lake, a river, and you walk by one day and you see uh, a single fish, belly up, dead. Uh, You might wonder what happened to that fish. You might wonder where things went wrong with that fish. You may wonder where the fish's family went, if they were involved in raising that fish well. One of the family raised them with the values of survival and uh, doing well in this world. One of them went to a fish school that had a culture of excellence or was disorganized in the inner city. Whether without the right role models and mentors, he or she fell in with the wrong fish friends. But the next day, if you go by that same body of water and over half the fish are belly up, we would hope that we would start asking a different question. What's wrong with the water? And what the Racial Equity Institute so powerfully points out is that we have been educated, trained, professionalized, employed, and raised up even in churches in the fish-fixing business, focusing on figuring out what's wrong with fish. And there's nothing wrong with programs and services that help people, that feed people, that clothe people, that help the homeless. These services literally save lives. But the problem is if we do that work without a lake perspective, we're bound to continue to blame the fish for their circumstances. As James Baldwin says, one begins to suspect an awful thing that people deserve their history. And when they operate on that belief, they perish. And the allegory goes even deeper with that because we know that the surface water of lakes and rivers is just a fraction of the fresh water we use. That the uh, uh, massive amounts of water that we actually consume 
and are impacted by, is found in the groundwater underneath. And so if even you were able to focus on one lake, one school, one institution, one organization, and clean it of the pollution of racism and bigotry or, and uh, of this history, there's nothing to prevent that same lake being connected to a different lake and all the different lakes that uh, are around it, institutions, organizations, and the new fish that come into that lake will be poisoned at the uh, same rate as before. And so this pushes us to a deeper analysis that looks at the groundwater of our culture, this 400-year history. I stepped in the water, the water was old. It's the fish's fault, so we've been told. Wait in the water, children, wait in the water. God's going to trouble the water. So what is this baptism anyway? I called Hershey late last night, uh, my wife, to, because I had a, a spiritually inspired ADD moment of wondering uh, if John came baptizing with water, and then in the scripture today it said Jesus came baptized with Holy Spirit and fire, then why were we still baptizing with water? And uh, she uh, had a very quick response and clear, um, as often she does. And she said, uh, fire would be just a little too messy. <laughs> and besides that, uh, we do baptize with the Holy Spirit, with uh, God, uh, the Creator, Jesus, the child, Holy Spirit. And in Luke, we can know that the Holy Spirit and fire point us toward the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit comes with tongues of fire, where the Holy Spirit is what Dr. King called the community-creating force that moves through history, its first act making people intelligible to one another, being able to hear one another from different places in the world. So I want to offer this morning that our privatized no notion of salvation our commodified religiosity has helped build the warped moral foundation that blames individual fish and forces us to ignore the water in which we all swim, forces us into a zero-sum game of salvation that it's only private. I'm not saying it isn't personal. It is personal. But there's also something collective about it. And actually, if we try to do this walk of faith and walk of baptism and salvation, uh, all on our own, we are going to run into trouble. And I think the House of Burgess was right about one thing in 1667, that baptism can be dangerous, can be a danger to the status quo. Because if you are baptized or saved, it is your obligation to create an environment in which all God's children can experience salvation can experience liberation, regardless of what uh, routine they went through in their baptismal status. Many of you have been baptized by water, but others have been baptized by Holy Spirit in, in the streets, in marches and protests, in your organizations with the fire of love. And that is how we could make baptism great again. My Angela said it simply, when you get give, when you learn, teach. Grace is an abundant resource. Brian Stevenson says in Just Mercy that if we are ever to get to deal with the legacy of racism, 
We need to get proximate to the problem, to get close to the problem. And you here uh, at Middle Church know that, that wading into the water may mean that trouble will come. But wading in the water will mean that the right type of trouble will come, because God will trouble the water. Jackie? and funny, this guy. <laughs> the reason that Birchman and I are both so captivated, though, by Rob's sermon title is because it was funny and also prophetic, you know? There's something about making baptism great again, which is about making Christianity great again, which is about making Christianity Christian again, which is really about dialing back some stuff. You know, first... Jesus was a Jew, not a Christian. So anytime the church thinks its job is to shut out the Jews, are you kidding? That is the most ridiculous concept of life. How are you going to, in the name of the Jews, shut out the Jews? Two, Jesus got baptized but was already the child of God. The baptism didn't make Jesus the child of God. God just whispered, that's my guy. I like paraphrasing, but just sort of <laughs> acknowledging, you know, like not like, oh my goodness, suddenly he's my guy, but like, yeah, that's my guy, and I'm pleased with him. And so baptism in itself is not a kind of identity um, maker, it's an identity confirmer, and it is for everyone. I say that again, it's not an identity maker, it's an identity confirmer, and it is for everyone. I love the way Rob said it's not just about when we put the water on you, but it's when the breath of God blows on you in the streets. That is baptism. When we're doing the work we do to heal and love the world, that is grace upon grace calling us to baptism. I'm not trying to minimize the ritual of baptism. I'm trying to expand the ritual of baptism. It is the ritual of acknowledging whose we are and what we're called to do. So if that's true, then I'm going to say we make baptism great again when we, like Amanda and Kelly and um, Elaine today and like Darren and Christina and others before, when we go to the river, the Rio Grande River, to pray, to make space for people to do sanctuary with people who are trying to find a safe way, I think that's making baptism great again. When Sandy Stone and... Um, Ayana Stern and Susan Sherman and Laura Kogel and all kinds of beautiful Jewish friends find their way into this community and stay in this community. I think we're making baptism great again. And when, amen? And when Sandy and Susan got baptized, joy too, when they got baptized, they weren't getting baptized to convert. They were getting baptized to say, this is my love community. And I want to publicly let you know I'm here. That makes baptism great again. Amen? Amen? When we're able to bring 20 queer icons into the sanctuary, beautiful photos created by Gabe. Are you here today, Gabe? Hi, Gabe. There you are. <laughs> Stand up. Woo! Turn around. 
There we go. <laughs> you may be seated. When Gabe makes this beautiful art and we leave it up on our sanctuary walls for seven months and don't want to take them down, we middle family are making baptism great again because we're saying God is in all these bodies like God is in our body and that all these bodies are holy. Hallelujah. Holy. Amen. We make baptism great again when we decide, when we purpose ourselves to not just be a multiracial church who gives air kisses to the diversity, not just a church that says that we will quote unquote include queer people, but a church with a trans deacon, a church with queer people leading, a church where we not only are multiracial but committed to anti-racism, creating a, a racial healing task force. Tomorrow, Rob is gonna do an all-day training with our staff on anti-racist work. This year, all of you are gonna read a book called White Fragility at our cost. So we can talk about this stuff and work this stuff and heal and change the world. That's what we do to make baptism great again. Somebody say amen. amen. And I have to say this because Rob put it in the room. We are the oldest continuous church in North America. That means we are those Dutch people. <laughs> that means we're the ones, that's why this looks like a ship. <laughs> we are the ones, we are the legacy of the ones who came here and stole the land from the Lenape people. And we are the ones who built the church on the stolen land that we stole for $23. And we are the ones who enslaved Africans. And we are the ones who baptized them and kept them as slaves. Not us, but we. And so isn't it remarkable that we're also the ones who throw down love is love is love every day and twice on Sunday, literally. Yeah. <laughs> and isn't it wonderful that we're also the ones who've been transformed by spirit to put love is love is love in the world on Pride Sunday to, to acknowledge the permanence of racism and push against it and do that crazy town, amazing Christmas show that people are still writing us and talking about us. Nobody knows how to love better than you know how to love, middle family. That's baptism as well. So I'm wanting to say baptism is not a one-time action, like, whoo, I'm sprinkled and here we go or I've been dipped and raised up and shaken dry and I'm good to hook. Baptism is an ongoing process. The tense has to be right. We get baptized and we keep on becoming the people of God. We get baptized and we keep on becoming the transformed lovers of the world. Rob and I were wrestling about what kind of ritual to give you. Do you know why we kiss each other during passing of the peace? Do you know why? Who knows why? Rob knows why. Virgin knows why. Because the first ways people got brought into the church was with a holy kiss. The first ways people got ordained was with a holy breath. Come, Josie, ask your question. In other words, I'm baptizing Allie with a kiss of breath. Do you understand what I'm saying? Are you with me? Doesn't have to be French kissing. <laughs> also, during... Um, Peace, we kiss to share love. Also, also, 
also during Peace We Kiss to Share Love. So I'm going to invite you to baptize your neighbor. Just stand up for a second. Come here, Josie. Can I baptize you? Holy cow. <laughs> You've really changed. <laughs> Give us a kiss. You are God's beloved. And you've got work to do. Amen? Kiss your neighbor. Somewhere. You are God's beloved. You are God's beloved. And you got work to do. <laughs> you are God's beloved. And you got work to do. Amen? Amen. Whether on the streets... Okay, they're not done. <laughs> Whether on the streets marching for justice. Whether handling the messiness of anti-Semitism and anti-Islam anti -Islam sentiment. Whether in this place trying to love on each other. We make baptism great again when we own our child of Godness fully and we own that everyone has the same identity. Child of God. That makes us keep opening and opening and opening and opening rather than shutting it all down. And that's what we're called to do. Amen.